Right, here we go. Here we go. Let's let's uh, let's have a run at this if we can. I always hate to stop your um, your talking. You know, it'll be uh, it'll get better in a bigger place. But I know that there's so few times you get to talk. I always hate to get in the way of that. We are uh, two Sundays into the new church year, so that's good stuff. And um, you know, on the way to Christmas. It can't, doesn't get better than that. So here we go. Advent 2, the coming deliverer. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And I tell you this every year, but I'll tell you anyway again. You know, the proper stance for a Christian when Christ returns is this. It's not fear, you know. It's the stance of, I'll have whatever you're giving out today. So the proper stance is, is eyes up. And you know there's a tradition in the church. We, we uh, you know... Uh, there's lots of things that we do, and one needs to be careful to talk about people as being right or wrong, or what we do is right or wrong, or when you find out the church does something different, they did things different in an earlier time. You know, we're very much about um, closing our eyes and bowing our heads and folding our hands, which is fascinating, because, which is probably a good practice for us, because when I have the confirmation kids in the school uh, fold their hands and bow their heads and close their eyes, it really takes about two minutes, it literally takes about two minutes before all 20 kids can actually fold their heads and close their eyes, and, or fold, fold, their, fold their hands and, and close their eyes and bow their heads. It takes about two minutes for all of them to do that. They're so unused to any sort of quiet, they're always so sens- sensorily stimulated that for them to have quiet, it really is, it's almost painful to watch them. So it takes them a couple of minutes just to get oriented. But there was a time in the church where the proper stance for the pastor at prayer and also for people was open hands, um, which means you've dropped everything, so you bring nothing, and you receive everything, and eyes were up, like, could you just come quickly, because um, things are difficult here. And, of course, that gets answered then in the Lord's Supper, Maranatha, which Bible churches often use as uh, the second coming, was originally used for the coming of the Eucharist. So at the end of several of the epistles, what happened is, is the epistles were written... And then they would read the epistle, Thessalonians, for example. They would read that as the sermon. Paul wrote us a letter. Let's read this. And there at the end it says, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. They're not talking about the second coming. They're talking about the liturgy, and now we're going to have the Eucharist. And they understood that Jesus was coming in the Eucharist, even in an early time. It does, of course, mean the other as well. But to just separate that out in a non-sacramental way or a non-Eucharistic way is just wrong. Uh, so... Uh, in the same way, you know, we receive, we receive, in the same way that we receive the Eucharist um, and, and, and we say our prayers, uh, in the early church they were regularly head up and arms open. We don't do that, but it's certainly not wrong and it does have some advantages. But for our particular place in society where we're all too busy, it's a little like, you know, we talked about this long ago, it's a little like receiving the supper, whether you can walk through and receive the supper. Yeah, you can walk through. Uh, and receive the supper, and it's not wrong. The question is for you with your busy lives. Do you, um, I bet most of you never kneel during the week except to receive the Eucharist, right? You never kneel and slow down. There's no other time. I I would guess that very few of you, I'd guess not 3% of you kneel to say your prayers at night. It's not my custom either. I didn't grow up with it. Uh, So it's not wrong if you don't kneel, but occasionally to kneel, to put your body in a posture, that is different, alerts your body and then your mind that something else is happening. And so uh, as we think about the new space, for example, you know, we have to make a choice of how we will receive the supper. If we receive it on our knees, 
then the altar rail has to be a particular size that's consonant with the number of people that will come and also with the, the size of the space. But those are very real, those are questions that are driven liturgically. Those are driven by theology. You remember um, this notion that everything teaches and that nothing is done capriciously, uh, but that also, you know, Christ drives everything and your confession of Christ drives everything. So it all sort of fits together, even with the scripture. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Um, I was thinking this morning about praying to the Eucharist, uh, which is, you know, a little bit outside my ken. Uh, but nevertheless, if you really believe Christ, I was thinking about adoration of the Eucharist and then praying of the Eucharist when Pastor Nelson, you know, elevates the host and you say, um, the reason uh, you'll see, at least we do, I, now I don't have my eyes on you, I don't know what your practice is, but I tend to, to bow my head at that point because I know that Christ just arrived and I'd like him to know that I'm deferential to him. Um, but then I was thinking about, you know, prayers to the Eucharist and what that means. If you really believe that Jesus is there, if he's really there, then it's okay. If he's really there, then the proper thing is to adore it. And so, you know, everything, everything works together. You have to push everything you believe out to kind of a fullness uh, of full devotional life. So you receive the Eucharist, you know, um, please, head up, please. And then the same way you say your prayers. And there it is in the text, Luke twenty-one twenty-eight. Raise your heads, your redemption is drawing near, Advent 2. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who through your Son revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away, we beg you, keep us steadfast in your word and in the true faith of the apostolic church. Graciously guard our lives from sin and preserve us from all evil so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life. But at all times, in watchfulness and prayer, we may await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of our eternal salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I wish I had, um, you know, two weeks in, I wish I'd have made more of uh, the last line of the gospel for last week. It's a fascinating change of, um, there's two times in the gospel last week. These are the sorts of things that's very difficult to preach about this, but very easy to do a Bible study on. There are two times in the gospel for last week when they said, the text is translated, watch, because Jesus is coming back. And then again, I say to you, watch, Jesus is coming back. The interesting thing is that there's two dis different Greek wor verbs that are used for the watching, um, which would indicate then there's some reason, you, one would suspect there's some reason for the difference in those verbs. And the last one that I used in the sermon this morning, but just really brushed up against, it really does mean um, just be careful because you're always thinking about something else. And, you know, I've tried to say this to you in the past two weeks. Um, you're not bad folks. You just get preoccupied, which is really what John is talking about. He, you know, Jesus is comes, comes back at a time you're just thinking about something else. It's true for the last time Jesus comes. It's also true at the Eucharist. Ask yourself how often you come to the Eucharist and you're thinking about something else. And Jesus is just saying, be careful. Don't, you know, be careful. You're always thinking about something else. So you come to church. Be careful, you're always thinking about something else. Or you see your next door neighbor or somebody else here in the congregation. Be careful, you're always thinking about something else. I mean, he, he loves you in such a way that he just says, be careful, um, be careful. Because when you think about something else, then you, that your attention is drawn away. This notion that we entertain ideas is really a literal and not a metaphorical idea that actually ideas come to us and we entertain them. Sit down, I'd like to talk to you, where you're from, how long can you stay, what are you good for? 
In the same way, we, we, when, when our attention is drawn to something else, when we're, we're just thinking about something else, um, we lose the benefit of what we could be thinking about. And so then, um, that immediately then goes to beauty, which I continually find sneaking into our lives. We began with the notion that beauty was a rumor. Um, I comfort myself that, you know, what I've observed in the church is that rumors <coughs> tend to move very quickly. So in the course of this time, I, I comfort myself with that. But nevertheless, r- beauty is not always the first thing that we talk about. Although I will say, um, in these past few weeks, uh, you know, we've begun to talk about what, this, what the sanctuary would look like next, next door. And it's been very interesting um, to talk about one of the interesting things, that the man that we've chosen to help us, uh, this man, Bushem, one of the most interesting things is that before we could say it, he said the first thing that needed to be said, which was, in your, in your sanctuary, everything teaches. You should be able to teach the entire life of the church from how your sanctuary is appointed, which is precisely right. We should be able to sit in this place right now and teach the entire life of the church by what's here, which means this can't be sort of a Spartan place, but instead it needs to be um, a place that's rich with all the things going on. Even if there's not much, the things that are there need to be extraordinarily rich. And so that immediately goes to beauty. And I don't know if you noticed this morning that already in the text, twice in the liturgy, um, I don't know if you, you noticed if you've been to church when we sang on Jordan's Banks, which we always sing. Um, there's old Pastor Gainig helping me out with my Bible study, the fourth verse, fourth verse. Show us the glory of thy face. Okay, so now think about this. Um, this is one of the good things about hymn writers. This is, you know, the last 30, 40 years of hymn writing has not been... Uh, a bright spot in the history of the church, frankly, because the hymns got away from theology. But when somebody writes this, show us the glory, glory is a technical term for the holiness that's in heaven whenever it's made visible. So things that are glorious, it's visible holiness, okay? It's holiness incarnate. What's glorious? The pillar of fire above the temple. What's glorious? Jesus face on transfiguration, you know, in that icon. What's glorious? Show us the glory of your face. And when you talk about God, and this is true for human beings, when you see somebody's face, you know everything you need to know about what they think about you. When you look somebody in the face, you know, you know what they think about you. You know if they love you. You know if they care for you. You know if they're tenderhearted. You know if they hate you. You know. So show us the glory, show us holiness in your face, right, till beauty springs from every place, which is exactly what we talked about last week. That Jesus, um, I'm sorry, I should probably say the Trinity to make it more clear, that the Trinity creates, or Jesus creates, Jesus creates the world. You remember, it's the Father's will, but Jesus is the project manager, yes? Jesus is the one who does the actual creating. He is, Jesus is the one who works with materials, his own flesh and blood. You know, it's John 4. We're going to read it in the Christmas. Everything that was made was made through him. I know the catechism assigns creation to the Father, but in fact, the Son is the one who executes with materials. Okay? So Jesus creates a world. And my argument from last week that was because Jesus himself is beauty, because God is beauty, that beauty is diffused into the universe and even into you and into me. And part of, in a world that is broken by sin, part of our Christian vocation, if you will, or part of just being a Christian 
is finding beauty in others. I can look at each one of you and find ugliness. I know you can do the same thing to me. I've been so, I think I told you this, but I was so, it just struck me a year ago or so why caricature works. Or I listen to political commentary and I wonder why things, uh, I wonder why it works, why smear campaigns work, right? I listen to the news. Uh, I listen to people so exercised, demonizing each other. And part of the reason it works is because it is true, at least partially true. I mean, what, what evil means is that we're all damaged in some ways, and if we always season the evil in other people, we're right, but it's, it, it's true, but it's not right. It's true, but it's not best. And so to be in the church is to attempt to see the beauty in other people and to deliver the beauty of Christ. Christ himself has delivered beauty into the world. It's not a primary, at least for us, it's not been a primary theological category. But it is, in fact, it is, a, it is one of those things where if you get a grip on it, um, it changes your life. Why is it that when we talked about moving next door, what you overwhelmingly said you wanted was the stained glass? Why is that? It's because you, you, the, it captures you because you see beauty in it, right? Because that's the thing that comforts you. When the pastor is boring, when the liturgy is too fast or too slow, when the kids are off key, when somebody sat on your hat, you know, uh, nevertheless, there is the beauty in these things around you. Okay? Now, part of that is because Jesus has diffused his beauty into the world. And then I was struck again by the Nunc Dimittis, which has come back to us in this particular liturgy. Um, the Nunc Dimittis, after the supper. And we sing this very intentionally after the supper. Um, <clears throat> Lord, now let your servant die in peace. Or this is what Simeon actually said. I can die now. According to your word, because you gave what you promised, for my eyes have seen salvation. He just seen the little baby Jesus. And you have just seen the little baby Jesus in the Eucharist. The reason we sing this is because you had Simeon's experience. So there is a way, now you see, that you see salvation. There is a way that you feel salvation, right? See? Can you feel it, can't you? Grandma, I wouldn't do that to you because, you know, who knows what could happen. What would the Lord do to me if I splashed you? But her, she needs it. Let's think about it. Okay, so, uh, you know, there's a way that you can feel salvation, right? Love you. You're nice. Thank you. There's a way that you can feel salvation. There's a way that you can hear salvation. But Simeon says there's also a way that you see salvation. You sing every week that I've seen salvation, that I've seen Christ, which means you see beauty. Um, and so in front of you, you had this bit, this painting, at least from last week. Um, if you have one, and you were strikingly good when we started. Thank you. <clears throat> I had um, sort of given this to you blind and then just let you look at it, which is very good because... All the main themes, uh, you know, sort of came out. You're so quiet always, but when you were forced by the buzzer to say what was there, um, this is what you said. Okay, so now look at this again, okay? Look at this again. Mary holds Jesus. And the woman to the left, we don't know who she is. She's not identified by the painter. Um, but there was <clears throat> this very interesting thing about the light. Now... <clears throat> I know theologically that Jesus has to be the light. And if this painting isn't heresy, 
Light has to come from Jesus. Okay? However, one of you came to my office very cleverly this week and said, you've got it all wrong. Look at the woman's, look at her breast. You know, look at her, look at her, look at her chest. Look how the light seems to radiate from her. And frankly, I have a glossy of this that we scanned this. Of course, I have a glossy of this in my office. It does, in fact, seem, that was a very good observation. It does, in fact, seem that this woman radiates light from her chest. I'm thinking, you know, how can that be theologically? That's not very helpful. And this was painted in the mid-17th century, so this is 1650-ish. Then you have this great revival. What happened is you had the Reformation in the 1500s, and then you have um, the Catholic folks sort of uh, uh, saying, hey, we need to get on the board here. Everything's going to turn Lutheran. So you have this great counter-reformation, and the Catholics have the Council of Trent, and they, they really sort of go after what the church should look like. And this artist, uh, De La Tour, is um, from the eastern part of France, and there was a great Catholic revival there. And so one says, okay, what's he trying to do? He's certainly trying to stick within the church. Now, the interesting thing, which I didn't see, because I, I always like to look at things for a while before I uh, cheat ahead and see what somebody else sees. <clears throat> um, look at the woman on the left. Look at her left hand. Okay, so her right hand is up. Her left hand is circled round. Do you see anything there? Can you see anything? It's extraordinarily difficult. Anybody see anything? Yes, a candle. You're very good. She actually has a candle in her hand, which completely got by me the first time. Okay, she's got a candle in her hand, which means um, the person who came to my office was right. There is light that seems to be, be being diffused from the direction of the woman on the left. This unnamed woman becomes in some way a focal point. Okay, good. So why is that unnamed woman a focal point? Partly because this woman seems to have a candle in her hand. You can't see it because it's behind her hand. But you see that all sort of fits together. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness will overcome. Jesus is the candle, just so you know. One of the things we're looking for. This candle um, is insufficient for us because it leaves us before. You know, we have to get this candle all the way to Easter. We're not going to make it if you don't, people don't stop having children or stop getting people who get adult. We're just not going to make it. You know, I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be nothing left of it. We only burn this at baptisms and funerals. Um, so one of the things we've looked at are these ginormous Paschal candles. I mean, there's one, is it in Chicago? The one where you climb the ladder to light? Where is it? There's one in Rome that's seven or eight feet where you actually climb a ladder to light it, and then it burns down through the year. Because what you're supposed to do, of course, is what this does is mark time. Um, it actually marks the time from Easter to Easter, but it's supposed to mark time. Um, we need, and we don't process with that, but you can process with a Paschal candle. The, cas the candle is Jesus. You know, remember it goes to the gospel up there after, after Easter, and then it comes down here on Ascension Day. We move it um, at Ascension Day. Remember, we read the Ascension Gospel, we put it out. Oh, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We can't find him. And then we, he's in the water. He likes to swim. So then we put it down. If you need to find Jesus, you find him in the font, right? So a candle from forever. You're, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Or you are the light of the world. Well, see, all of that is wrapped up in Jesus. So she holds this candle in her hand, which illumines everything. But, of course, the candle is Jesus, too. So you've got Jesus and Jesus going on there. 
Now look at um, look at Jesus. Look how Jesus is swaddled, and just tell me about that. What does that look like to you? Yeah, it looks like grave clothes. Exactly. So are those clothes the clothes of a child who's just been born, or those the clothes of a man who's just died? And now the clue is also in that stained glass window back there that has the birth of Jesus. If you look at that sometime, Jesus has, you can't see it from this angle, but I think it's the second one up, whichever one is the birth one. Jesus has in that window, again, I didn't discover this, someone who was photographing came and showed me, Jesus has the, has, the, has the hand and arm of an old man. You have a fully grown Jesus arm and a little baby Jesus. Well, what is that trying to tell you? It's trying to tell you the whole story. Same guy who got born of Mary is going to grow up to, be, to manhood and then to die. In the same way, you get this here. This Jesus, this is, this is your salvation that lies in her arms. Okay, So here's the light of the world, and he goes to this peacefully, almost unaware which would be the appropriately fully human thing to do. He's not to the garden yet where he says, couldn't you think of a better way? And then I'm happy to do whatever you ask me, even though it's painful. But Mary is there, okay? So can you remember last week when you talked about her face? What did you see in her face? Mary holds the child. What do you see in her face? Can you remember what she said? What did you say? Please, don't be shy. What did you say last week when you looked at this? That she wasn't looking at him. Yeah, okay. Or she seems to be looking down, or she seems to be, she's not, there seems to be more going on than just looking at him. What else? What do you see in her face? How does she look? She is peaceful in a way. What else? Sorry? There is some wonder or some reverence, sure, you know, like what in the world? My baby's glowing. Okay, so what else? What else do you see? There is adoration in some sense. Her eyes are cast down. You remember, kind of normal thing for adoration is you don't sort of look at Jesus face to face or you keep your eyes downcast or regularly in the scriptures people come and fall on their face before him. They won't even look up. Okay, what else? There is distance that she seems to almost have the baby away from her, which is very interesting, a very interesting way to hold the child. You know, babies normally cry if you have them too far away. You hold them dear. Sorry? There is a trinity um, in the, from head to her two arms. She does sit in the shape of a triangle. And look at this. It goes the other way, too, up the top of her up the, from up the top of her to her neck, right, to her head. Somebody said something in the back. Way in the back? They're... Yes, she's holding him loosely. What else? Yes, right. We regularly, this is the time of year when the, when the pastors regularly have discussions about whether or not um, Mary suffered in childbirth. Uh, McGainig has his own particular opinions on this. Uh, then the next thing we talk about is whether he had brothers and sisters. We always sort of we have this conversation of what that would mean, whether or not Mary suffered or did not suffer. You can make good arguments on either side. Did she suffer or didn't she? Suffering is the natural way of women in childbirth. This is a one-off birth. Did she suffer? There's a long tradition in the church that she didn't suffer. Okay, And whether he had brothers and sisters. There is even in our confessions, uh, Mary is considered Semper Virgo that she's ever virgin, that he has no brothers and sisters. Uh, 
and so that she remains virgin forever. Um, and there is a tradition of that in the church as well. And our confessions sort of say, well, everybody knows that. And then you, have the, you do have the texts that say Jesus' brothers and, uh, and mother are outside, but the problem is the Greek word can be used both for brother and cousin. So it's very difficult to know exactly what they meant. Um, I did read uh, a bit about this, uh, that, that there was one commentator who suggested some apprehension in her face. I don't know if you see that or not. It would be completely logical if, in fact, that were there. And there is a way that it's, it's, there's not pure exultation in her face. Um, you have to remember this is the woman uh, of whom John said, uh, not John, um, uh, is it Anna's song for the rise and the fall of many? Yeah, so she knows, uh, or Simeon, uh, it's in the temple when they present him. You know, they say, well, this is going to be great for some people, but you should know that some people are going to hate him desperately, and they're going to punish anybody who's around him, and it's going to be worst of all for you, a, a, a sword will pierce your heart, which is not the way anyone wants to welcome their child into the world. If you've been around people who have had a child who died, that's the most horrible thing, and to have a prediction from birth that your child will die and it'll pierce you, um, one wonders then, in her face, you notice she doesn't smile. Even though she's not frowning, you see, she doesn't smile. And so you have this mixed emotion of this great joy, incarnation, virgin birth, perhaps painless, and yet pain to follow. And she knows all of that in advance. And you remember how, how it says she just keeps tucking things away in her heart. This is a fascinating thing about Mary. She just keeps, she just keeps tucking them away. The, 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 you know, the shepherds come and she tucks it away. And the, and the, and the wise men come and she tucks it away. And then Jesus uses the same word, of course, in Matthew 28 when he says, teach them to, 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 to go make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to treasure everything that's tucked away, in the, that I tucked away in your heart, which is it's the very same word used for Mary and for what's ha- supposed to happen with you. You're supposed to be like Mary, which, of course, then brings you to why Mary is considered, uh, in some streams of thought, the preeminent disciple. You see, this, just, this all fits together. I know if you've never heard this before, and I know um, one, of the, one of the issues with young guys is that they come in um, knowing so much that they just sort of spill it out, and they think you know all that, too. And then when you don't know it, you go, you know, you just can't quite, you think that, you know, there's something wrong with them, and frankly, there's something wrong with us, um, but I mean, it just is of a, it's just, it's just seamless, you know. It's just seamless how all these things fit together and then is um, reflected uh, in, in, in what's going on. I also just, I just jotted a couple more notes that I was, just, I was just interested, at least in this particular painting. And I know that in some mosaics and also in some Renaissance paintings, you have these very spectacular, ornate sort of beauty. But I just wonder if you notice how plain all this is. Now, she does have a very nice dress, but it's modest. You know, it's not lacy per se, or it doesn't, you don't have jewelry, you know, or no sort of gold embellishments, which is very common. She doesn't have an aura or a crown or a halo, none of that stuff that will come later. And even though she does apparently have a midwife on the left or an early visitor, you almost, you see the reflection of, you see the the facial, the visage of Mary almost mimicked in the visage of the woman next to her. So you almost get the same face full on and then a side view, right? And so you get a double look at what everybody... So there's a consensus about what the church, if you will, believes about Jesus, Mary, her friend, and us. There's a consensus of what's believed, and you sort of get a full expression of that. 
And finally, um, this is your king. You know, the beauty of your king is that he comes in this very helpless sort of way. And he's not going to force you to be a Christian. He's not going to force you to be forgiven. But he loves you enough to put himself into your hands. It is, it is this way that he trusts himself into your hands. And every one of you has the opportunity to do just exactly uh, what the soldiers did. You may turn him loose to do best, or you may kill him. He suffers himself to be abused. He, puts, he put himself into their hands, but he also puts himself into your hands. He is utterly unthreatening, and yet this is the glorious, most beautiful thing in the universe. And so beauty gets put into your hands in the person of Christ. And it's all yours. Do with it what you will. You see? It's remarkable stuff. I mean, this is just, you know, <laughs> you know in some ways, you know... Catechism is one way that you learn, but frankly, another way is just to look at beautiful things. You, you learn by looking at beautiful things. Okay, how you doing? Everybody okay? Just questions about that? I'm not expecting you to just follow my interpretation, you know, blindly. You know, there's certainly much more than I see what's going on. Some people see a completely different question. I'm sorry, Andrea. Yes, please. Oh, and Dan, let's go here and then we'll go there, please. Yeah. What do you recommend? Well, I think that's a Eucharistic host. What do you think it is? <laughs> it almost has a sign of the cross on it. I, I mean, you asked me, so I told you. But, you know, I can only take so much, right? If the Eucharist is here, too, what will I do? I mean, I'll be so happy I'll burst. So uh, <clears throat> what I'd love to do is go look with a magnifying glass at the, at the glossy I've got, you know, or see this. I actually don't know the scale of this uh, or even where it is. Um, Yes, we could buy the original for the new church. Yes, we could. If you would like to donate this to the new church, we will name the new church after you. It'll be easy. Uh, yes, I, you know, I don't know, but it seems like more than a kneecap. Right? It is the reflection of the candle, yes, it, because the, it does reflect down where it's covered by the candle. Yes, it's very helpful. And, and, and then so, you know, is it more than the reflection of the candle or not? I don't know. See, this is part of the fun. You know, part of the fun is... And this doesn't mean beauty is where you find it. It means beauty is embedded everywhere. It, it, I'm, what I mean by that is beauty is not just simply a free-for-all, whatever you see. No, no, beauty is already there, defined by God himself. And then there are little hints and glimpses and vestiges all over the place. Yes, please. Yes. It does, in fact, look that way, that her hand looks like it's almost in a benediction or a blessing, right? It is a fascinating thing of why she covers the candle, you know, and why her hand is like that and why the candle is hidden. It's just, what in the world is going on there? Right, right. There's just more, there's more to come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if you heard all that. It was a brilliant little thing there. First of, that the, the reason you don't see everything is because, of course, you don't see everything in the birth of Jesus. There's, there's more to come 
So this is a hint toward the unraveling of what comes next. And then the second thing of how well-educated these folks had to be to lay all these clues in here for your benefit later in life. But, of course, that's how you teach people. Yes! Please. No, not at all. Right. I'd be happier if it was Elizabeth and not a midwife. That would make the painting more fun for me. So, absolutely. I don't know, you know, this is everything, there's so much to learn and so little time, right? I don't know if in classical art, do you know this? Are there markers for Elizabeth? There are things that mark different people classically in art. I don't know what the marker is for Elizabeth or if there is one, you know? Um, but yeah, if it were Elizabeth, it would be fantastic. It would be a better, it would make, make more sense than a midwife. I didn't want to assert that because I don't know that to be the case. But I'd be happier if it were, right? Yeah, it'd be nicer. It's a nicer, nice, it's a nicer fuller story that way. Is this yes, it is Mary holding the child. I did, I did um, read around that much. It is meant to be Mary holding the child. Yeah, oh yes, please. Sorry. That's brilliantly said. I actually, I, I didn't know that much about him, so I, I take you at your word. So he hides light. It's a common thing for him to hide the light. Hide the source of light. Hide the source of light. But what's revealed by the light source is right. what he's Yeah, I mean, part of the reason we're sort of scared to, to, sort of, to, to, to actually talk about this a little bit is because we're very aware that there are many of you who know much more than us about art history, about music, about poetry. Um, and so, you know, in some ways we impoverish you by not knowing more. On the other hand, um, if we sort of never say this, then it can get by a lot of us. So thank you very much for that. It's just a very interesting way. Yes, please. Give them away? That's fascinating. Did you hear that? She said it looks like the Christ child isn't being held so much as being prepared to be given away. So because her arms have already moved away from her side, which actually makes sense. That's how you, get, you do give something away, right? Her arms, are, instead of being in close where they're relaxed, they've begun to be... Um, isn't that fascinating? I mean, smart people. This is, this is just so good. I mean, this is what's so fun to kind of look at it together, right? Yes, please. Well, that's right. It could be the opposite. She says it could be that it was just... Be, which is actually the same motion, isn't it? Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Given would be both hands down. Yeah, perhaps so. But you wouldn't want to drop him on his head. I wonder what the penalty is for dropping the baby Jesus on his head. It's really quite, it's really quite helpful. Thank you very much. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, I have Easter Vigil with Eifert walking down here in the dark. Every year I go to Eifert. Hey, don't break a hip. 
Okay. <laughs> yes, you have to look above the candle. That's right. That's That's right. Everybody else has reflected light, yes? Yeah, so the Christ child has the greatest light, and then everybody else lives within that. Okay? All right, let's play with the other... Th- oh, my gosh. This is crazy. Uh, wow, that was kind of interesting. I thought we'd gone about ten minutes there. Um, hmm. Well, you know what? Let's come back and talk about Cain next week. Uh, it's a sadder story, but in a way, it's a, it's a more beautiful story. Actually, if I could give you an assignment, you might just read the Cain and Abel story again. Um, you know, the payoff, of course, is that, that I'm Cain and Jesus is Abel. I mean, that's what's going on in this poem. You know, I'm Cain, and, and, and the, you know, Abel says, he, you know, I'm Christ. So you might read that story for next week, and we'll see... Um, See what happens, okay? Anyway, thanks for that. You might just, you might just, as you go through Christmas time, where you receive Christmas cards and people send you things, and you know you're in church a lot. And real honestly, I mean, there is a method to this. We're, you know, we're thinking about what to do in the sanctuary next door. You know, we don't have a scat of money because we have to, um, you know, the property costs and all that was very high. So we have a very limited amount of money to try to do the maximum amount of teaching. And how are we going to do that? This is, I mean, this is a live issue for us. We're trying to figure out exactly what the inside of a church should look like. Um, you know, what's, the, what's, what's there that can be the most helpful thing for you? And if you can sort of get attuned to that, while it may be that nobody does donate, this is the altarpiece in the new place. Because after all, we'd have to have a voters meeting to decide if we were going to use this or the victory window behind the altar, and who wants to be part of that? So... That's where you laugh. That's where you laugh. Instead of being so nervous, ooh, would they really put the Delatour there instead of the victory window? I don't know. We voted in the... Yeah, I know. Okay, so, you know, while you may not get this, you will get something. And one, one that asks what that something would need to be and what, in fact, it should look like. See? I don't know where the painting is at. So I unfortunately only read from one source on this, and it didn't give me that. Um, I am curious where it is. I've got to Google it up and see. It probably isn't the Louvre. <clears throat> It'll be more difficult to steal than normal. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, happy Advent. Here we go. I mean, it's not far, is it? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends.